Thank you for tuning in to our Hurricane and Hurricane Season Readiness Podcast. Today, we will talk about how we personally prepare for hurricanes and hurricane seasons and how do you prepare your real estate for hurricane and hurricane seasons. I'm Julie Jones. And I'm David Van With the Real Property St. Pete Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about being smart, being safe, and being ready. Preparing for the hurricane season is part of being a Floridian. Indeed. When I moved to Florida, it was December of 2003. The following hurricane season had five hurricanes. Whoa. It was the most hurricanes that we've had in a season in a long time. And it was crazy. I couldn't believe I had moved here. (laughs) You were like, what have I done? Yes. Well, it's funny because many people do become anxious when hurricane season approaches or even when just hurricane season is looming on the horizon. Last year, we had a pretty active storm season and some pretty devastating damage in Florida that was very close to home. And we talked in a prior podcast about your experience going down to South Florida and what you saw and what kind of things were happening and your hurricane relief efforts. And that was wonderful. Most Floridians know hurricane season begins every year on June 1st. And it's past June 1st. And it ends on November 30th with the peak season stretching from August to October every year. Mm. The key is to make your preparations ahead of time so you're not scrambling to purchase supplies and complete tasks when a storm is approaching. And then supplies can sometimes be difficult to locate. It can sound funny to prepare early, but I actually had several clients last year who reached out on social media saying they didn't even have a cooler. Right. You know, there's some things that have to be done at the last minute, like gassing up your car. But there's other things like cleaning up your landscape and trimming back your trees, things like that. You know, you don't want to be in the throes of trying to evacuate and suddenly taking on a landscape project. (laughs) I've been there before. Yeah. I mean, those trees with bad limbs or dead limbs, and even if it's not a big storm, they get blown out of those trees and they become projectiles and they can damage your house. Get prepared early and let's remove those bad limbs. So today what we're hoping to talk about is developing a comprehensive plan to prepare your home and your family before the storm so that you can stay safe during and after the storm. So let's start with insurance. Indeed. Uh, One of the most important things to make sure you have in place before the storms get here. I think it's very important to know your homeowner's policy and what type of coverage you have. Right. I had a client last year who did not have hurricane coverage. They had lived in their home for a very long time, did not have a loan, and they were down in the South Barrier Islands that got hit by Hurricane Ian. Right. And did not have any hurricane coverage. So none Mm -hmm. of their damage was covered. Well, you know, there's two different types of coverage that you can get, especially like on a roof. You can get replacement cost policies and you could get actual cash value endorsement policies. So the difference in the two is one, they will completely replace your roof minus the deductible. And the other one does a proration of the life of your roof and then gives you an amortized value on what's left of the life of your roof. So that one's not as good as a full replacement policy. It'd be good to check out the endorsements on your homeowner's insurance page to see which one you have and do you want to move up to the full replacement value. And if you're not sure upon reviewing your policy, usually your insurance agent is very happy to go over that coverage with you. So give them a call. Definitely. They are a resource and they should be the first call you make on that subject. 
It's important to know that your homeowner's insurance policy does not typically provide flood coverage. Flood coverage protects your home from damage that results from rising water caused by heavy or prolonged rain, coastal storm surges, or blocked storm drains, which we do experience in our local community. That is a huge preparation part, too, about that block drainage. You know, I was looking at an article today that talked about one of the big preparedness things that you can do is to make sure that your gutters are cleared and that the drains are cleared. And, you know, doing that in advance of the storm coming, the same as like your landscape issues. I mean, those are some things that can be done now in June where the weather's warm, clear out the drains, clear out your gutters. And if you have any kind of creeks or drainage area around you that you want the water to flow through, make sure that that area is free and clear so that it can flow the water away from your property. That's a great point. I have seen issues with these gutters not draining correctly and even even in a regular rainstorm, if the gutters aren't working correctly and going down the downspouts and moving water away from your house, they're causing damage to the foundation of your house. This is even much worse when it's a hurricane. So take care of that part of your house. Well, it's funny because also in our particular area, fall is not the time when the leaves actually drop off the trees. The oak trees tend to shed in the spring. I recently had one of my rental property gutters cleaned and the guy who cleaned them out said they were so clogged and growing trees out of them. So after spring is really a good time to set your calendar to have the gutters cleaned and make sure they're flowing properly. Right. Down that downspouts and out away from the house and make sure that it can handle that water. And so in terms of hurricane readiness, I mean, that's a great thing to do when the storm's not around. It's not in the box. There's no storm in the box. Do we want to talk about the box? Yeah, I think we should talk about the box. What is this box you're, t- you're referring to? That means that anytime there is a disturbance in the Gulf, whether that be a tropical storm or a hurricane or Cat 1 or whatever the status is. Any category. Of, yeah, any kind of disturbance in the Gulf, it shuts down the opportunity for insurance companies to change or bind policies. So if you feel like you want to make a change to the replacement cost versus the actual cash value cost, that can't be done while there's a storm in the box, which there is a box in the Gulf of Mexico that starts somewhere down around Key West or down near the Caribbean and goes up towards Pensacola and all the way across the Gulf. So anywhere from New Orleans to St. Pete, that box is, you know, rectangular box that fills up the Gulf of Mexico. Your agent does not have the authority or capability to make changes to your policy or to add a new policy to your property during that time. And if you're in a transaction, that's another situation where if there's a storm in the box and the and the buyer has not bound insurance on the property prior to that, you're going to have to wait out the storm to be able to get insurance to be able to close. That is an important thing. Have you ever experienced that? I have, yes. Actually, in the purchase contract agreement addresses that issue Mm. and has an obligation for both the buyer and seller to agree to extend closing. So next to documents, gather your documents together. You know, in today's world, it's really easy to scan your policy. And so to me, instead of lugging that around with you, it could be a really great asset to have your insurance policy scanned and saved in a folder online and Dropbox or some other place that you can access from a remote location. Some insurance agencies actually have an app as well that has all of your insurance information in it. So get the app as well. 
Mm-hmm. Before Storm gets here, it's really good to photo document your property and all of your personal items. Oh, yeah. That's a great thing to do because you have insurance on your contents. Yes. And so in the event that your contents or the inside of your home is damaged, being able to inventory each room of your home will make things much easier in the event that you have damage. Right. And, you know, at our house, our main living space is at about 18 feet, but we have, you know, some space down on the ground floor. And in the last hurricane where we evacuated in, we dragged so many things up to the upstairs of our house. <laughs> we like moved everything downstairs, upstairs, because, you know, even if we got flooded, I mean, we would like to have some things. We want our valuables upstairs that are not replaceable. Mm-hmm. I had many friends who live in a more coastal location bring their treasures and photo albums over to my house. My living room was stacked full of <laughs> personal items from friends. You're very kind to house their items high and dry at your house. <laughs> yeah, I could sit on the couch, but the rest of the room was full, so I can relate. <laughs> you know, knowing where the shelters are, and you know, this is something that we talk about because we have two kids with cars and we each have a car, is where to put your car. Hopefully you can take it with you. Right. But how many cars are you going to take with you? And what if you just want to take one? And there are possibilities of putting your car at the airport, but you'll find that a lot of people like find parking garages downtown. They find high and dry places at friend's house to put their cars. But you know, where to put your car is something to think about and have maybe a plan for that. Once a watch or a warning is issued, you really need to heed the advice of your local authorities and experts. And just a quick short list on what happens when a watch is issued of things that would be a good idea to do is fuel up your vehicle. Indeed. Hopefully you got ahead of everyone else that was going to the gas station because we know they can sell out of gas in our area. Track the storm's path by monitoring the local news outlets and signing up for weather alerts. That would be a good time to install any hurricane panel shutters that you have and secure your windows and door openings. Make sure you have cash. Finish purchasing any last-minute supplies that you might need if power is out or water services are not available. And identify a safe room in your home in the event the structure is compromised or the storm comes to your particular area. And if you're in an evacuation zone, begin making inquiries to where the shelters are or where you're going to go. Indeed. And remember what we always say, you can hide from wind, but you have to run from flood. One of the other things when an actual storm warning is issued is a good time to bring in all your patio furniture, grills, and potted plants. Last year, I made some extra room in my garage to bring everything inside and put it inside the garage. But I feel like that's something that you could do early, clean out any garage or other secure location where your outdoor patio furniture and other things can be stored, plants that can fly away. Yeah. I mean, and I think the point is there is that, you know, when these warnings and watches are issued, there's a lot of other things to do. So that's not the time to start trimming your trees and working on the landscape and stuff like that. Those are things that should have already been done. You should have identified where you're going to go. Looked around your yard for any trash or anything that become that can become loose or serve as a projectile. June is a good time to like do a little analysis of your outdoor space and see if there's anything that could be purged or cleaned up. 
so that when a storm is in warning or watch status that you're not scrambling around focused on those things. It's unbelievable how long the list of things to do is when the storm actually comes close. And that's notwithstanding getting out of town. And that's really what you're waiting for. That's really where I think people get into trouble is there's so many things to do to prepare your property and your belongings for a storm that you're busy doing that and it delays your departure until much later. And then sometimes it becomes impossible to get out of town and evacuate because you've been busy doing the readiness that you could have done in advance. Through all of this, I think it's really also important to know what your evacuation zone is, because if the local authorities issue an evacuation mandate, you know what your letter is. Right, because A is the first one that gets evacuated and then evacuation zone B, C, D, and E. That's managed by the county, and it's available in the Pinellas County Property Appraiser site. Good to know. So identifying your evacuation zone ahead of time is really good. Fun conversation, because today I'm doom and gloom. (laughs) What happens if you stay when there's a mandatory evacuation? Do you know? No. I do. So I think this is really important because people ask that question when they're newer to Florida all the time, or maybe even local people. They just don't really know if the local authorities have issued a mandatory evacuation for A, and you live in A zone and you decide not to leave. What happens is if you need emergency services, they will not send them to you. Mm, That sounds scary. And I remember seeing people interviewed at Ian saying, yeah, we've never left, but now we would never stay again. Because they needed help and help would not come. Correct. So it's important for the local authorities to keep their employees and the people who are on staff for emergencies safe as well. And they will not send them into floodwaters until the storm has passed and they know that they've established a safe environment for those people to help you. And so staying during a mandatory evacuation of your particular zone is not usually advised. No. I mean, because if you stay, once you get scared and it gets worse and they evacuate B, C, D and E, then the roads are pretty much full and you probably can't evacuate. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. It's interesting because I don't know if you are aware, but most hurricane related deaths and injuries occur after the storm has passed in the midst of cleanup efforts. Yeah. It's really important to keep your family safe. And before you go outside for fresh air and venture to see what the damage and devastation is, that you assess any potential risk. The most important one is to look for down power lines because they can can charge the ground around your home and the water around your home if there's standing water. You want to make sure you avoid walking and playing in standing water because it can be contaminated. I think that definitely happened during Ian. Yes, for sure. That can cause a lot of uh, bacterial and viral infections. And if your power's out, use flashlights instead of candles to reduce your risk of fire in your home. And if you have to use candles, make sure you don't leave them unattended and burning while your family sleep. Kind of back to the whole preparation thing, making sure you have some extra batteries, a lantern, maybe something that can be charged solar so that during the day you can charge the lantern up and then in the evening you're not having to burn candles. Indeed, that makes a lot of sense. And you know, it, it does bring to light the idea of having underground power. 
and how that affects real estate. I mean, that's something that we talk about in my community of Calle Costa. It's gated and all the power is underground. And it's really a nice selling point of our neighborhood is that, you know, we rarely ever lose power and we actually don't have much flooding. We really don't have any flooding in our neighborhood either. It's pretty nice how they've arranged that and how it's been designed. But the power underground is a part of the fortification of the grid that my son actually is working on in his summer internship. We were talking about that. It was very interesting subject. I'd love to hear a little more about it. Right. So he is an electrical engineer at the University of Florida. And this summer he has an internship where he's learning how to locate all of the transformers and switch gear and the things, all of the equipment that is up on the power lines underground. And he's working. The company that he works for is contracted by Tico in Tampa to find ways to fortify the grid and move all the power underground for the city of Tampa. In fact, they have a 10 year plan to have all power underground in the county of Hillsborough. That's pretty exciting. It is exciting and it's a great project and you know it will help our community come back to life after a storm more quickly. Are you obligated to put up plywood or shutters on your house during a hurricane? I mean, what if you run out of time and you don't have time to do it or the pieces don't work right or you, you know the storm is approaching fast and you don't do it and you evacuate and your house gets damaged? I is, think the, those are two different questions, though. Okay. What's the questions? So should you put up plywood? Right. And if you don't have hurricane-rated windows, I think if the storm is anticipated to be extreme and you're going to leave, why? Why would you need to do that? But if you're going to stay, there's some advantages because what did you learn? Well, you know, one of the things that's a big advantage is safety because if, you know, you have windows that break and there's glass flying, I mean, it's a definite safety issue for the people who are in the house. So or putting the... Plywood uh, also helps wooden-borne debris like a tree limb from flying through at 100 miles an hour. Right. So the question is, I mean, is it really a human safety issue or is it an insurance issue where if you don't put them up, they won't pay? I don't think that's the case. I would agree, except for it might not be the case if you have a hurricane credit for hurricane shutters on your home. So for instance, last year, I live in a house that has hurricane windows and and I have a very small yard and very little outdoor things. And so my prep was fast. I had cleaned my garage out ahead of time well in advance and just pulled my patio furniture in. And in the meantime, I'm watching my neighbors on either side of me who have hurricane shutters that they have to put up because their windows are not hurricane rated, Mm -hmm. sweating their asses off. Yeah, it's not cool that time of year. Putting the second story on ladder shutters up. Talk about human safety. And, and it took them all day, if not two days in a row, to get all those shutters installed. No doubt. I mean, that is tough stuff. And sometimes I recommend to people, I'd put some uh, hurricane windows upstairs. Downstairs, you can get to. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Right. Very good point. Yes. So I think uh, let's kind of transition here and talk about fraud and how you can protect yourself from fraud. After a storm, there's definitely opportunists who visit affected areas with the hopes of cashing in on the misfortune of others and taking advantage of them. And I think it's important to beware of this and and maybe some signs to look out for for fraud. Many homeowners have their guard down. It's emotional. It does take a toll on you. And there's some very easy signs that can help avoid fraudulent contractors that may go unnoticed. And some of those to look out for are someone who comes and knocks on your door and tells you about damage that you didn't actually know about. That's one sign. Hmm. Someone who's promising something for nothing, like a free roof or a free kitchen remodel along with repairs for the damage. Sounds dicey. 
Mm-hmm. Nothing comes for free. Someone who claims the damage is greater than it clearly is and or the dollar amount to repair the home seems very unusually high or unreasonable. Not surprising. And permanent repairs can begin before your insurance carrier is notified or allowed to inspect the damage. It's really important that you have an adjuster come out from your insurance company before you start doing anything other than protecting your home from more damage. Like tarps, things to keep the water out, just trying to secure the home. Exactly. And I think that's why, you know, having an app on your phone or scanning your insurance documents ahead of time can be very beneficial so you can report any damage or claim to your insurance company right away. That's right. I mean, having that stuff at your fingertips, that's the main reason for that. I actually have a tarp in part of my hurricane preparedness package. Me too. And any other tools that you might need or think that you would need, maybe a hammer. What else would you have in yours? You may want to have some tape, some duct tape, some scissors, a utility knife, you know, a screwdriver, a wrench. I mean, things like that. I mean, just a, a just just an example of tools and then maybe a drill. If you have a cordless drill, you want that and the charger and the extra batteries. That's a really great kit. Another really great supply is either sandbags or just bags of topsoil, bags of dirt that are already packaged that you can buy from Lowe's or Home Depot. Last year, when we were in the storm season, there was a storm in the box and everybody was in a line that had 30 or 50 or 100 cars trying to get sandbags. Well, I mean, that was something, but we went to Home Depot and we bought some potting soil bags and we didn't need that many bags, but we needed a few. And then we just kept the potting soil bags in the garage until this season. And we now still have the potting soil. So when we need to sandbag a couple of doors that are on the lower level of our house, we have them available and you can reuse them and they're in plastic bags and they don't go bad. a pretty creative resource, David. Yes, I highly recommend that. The potting soil is about two or three bucks per bag, and you don't have to wait two or three hours to get through the sandbag line. It can be pretty long here. It's ridiculous. So the last thing is evacuating. Right. Where are you going to go? And how are you going to get there? And who are you going to take with you? And if you have pets, I think it's very important to plan ahead, making sure that you have a pet carrier for each of them that's big enough in size that they could stay in overnight. How far away do you want to go? when it's time to evacuate. It's funny because several times I've evacuated into the path of the storm. Right. That's a fact. So taking a look at it, choosing a destination that's either, you know, near family or friends or is an eight hour drive away. I mean, you know, there's some things that I think with our experiences, you can sort of pick a location and a destination that's highly unlikely. I mean, how many times have people evacuated to Orlando from St. Pete and the storm just goes in down in Charlotte Harbor or down in Fort Myers and it comes right up and goes right through Orlando? That's happened many times, hasn't it? It has. It happened to me in 2004. And it happened to me in about about eight years ago, we went to Jacksonville and man, I mean, Jacksonville oh, completely really flooded, flooded and mm-hmm. we were staying with some friends and, you know, it, we stayed and helped out, but then they were like, you guys probably should go somewhere else. And, and we did because they were in a crisis. We helped out the best we could. And then we hit the road and went back to St. Pete where there was no damage and no issues. I think though it's important because we're in such a coastal community to consider evacuating to higher ground because, you know, the coastal flooding could be a concern 
concern and they just really don't know. It's very difficult for the weather people to predict exactly where it's going to go. I think within 24 hours, you know, and that's one of the main reasons that all of this prep that we're talking about today, thinking about things in advance, planning what you're going to take with you, what's your route going to be, where are you going to stay? Do you have cages for your pets and are they going to come with you? Hopefully. Does a hotel accept pets? The hotels are obligated to accept pets in an emergency situation. I think the governor put that in place last year in one of our storms. I know that's pretty great for people like us, pet owners. Yep, that's right. And just having a a full plan in place. We talk a lot about planning. David and I offline talk about the benefits and advantages of planning your life and planning ahead. And we're hopeful that these lists and topics are helpful to you for thinking ahead for this upcoming storm season and having a good plan in place so that you can be prepared properly for any storms that might come our way. Nice summary there. I think that's exactly the point of this podcast. We've brought that information to our audience. And I think those are the things that everybody needs to hear is getting prepared. And what are the things you can do now when there is no storm versus what do you do when suddenly there is a storm? And can you plan for it? And then can you do it? It just takes a lot of stress away when the storm's coming, which is a stressful event anyway. You don't know whether it's going to hit you or not. So having things in order and in place can just eliminate a huge amount of stress. Well, this was really enjoyable. It got my mind turning about what to do. And I'm going to go home and make some lists, which I know my wife will enjoy because she's the main list maker, not me. (laughs) (laughs) We hope this was helpful today. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you're more prepared for upcoming Hurricane 2023 storm season. Right. That was fun for us. We enjoyed sharing and going over that stuff and doing the research. And thanks for being a part of it. I'm Julie Jones. And I'm David Bam with Real Property St. Pete Podcast. And Remax Metrics.